High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. special shout out to those of you who just like to dance in your underwear. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where and some friends look back at their teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results... That's right. Give me a C. Give me an H. Give me an E. Give me an E. Give me an R. What's that spell? Cheer. Because today is yet another Cheer Monday on High School Slumber Party. And I thank you for attending, even though attendance is mandatory. But it is also appreciated from your teacher over here. Cheer Mondays have been so fun. I can't wait to finish it, but not in a bad way. Like, you know, I just want a sense of completion. And who knows? There are tons of cheerleading films. We might revisit this subject again down the road. So, of course, homework, though. First, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us today, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Play. And while you're there, give us a five-star rating and or write us a review, a positive one, hopefully. Thank you, thank you. Your other homework, of course, is to tell a friend about all the great things we do bi-weekly on High School Slumber Party. That's Mondays and Fridays. Same Slumber Party time, same Slumber Party network. The Cage Club Podcast Network. That's cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Whoa, whoa, whoa! The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Plus, I feel like that was a really early bell. God, I never know when it's going to ring. We haven't even talked movies. That's why we're here, right? High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. 
So the film for last Friday was Prom Night 4. We went to prom again with the Mikester Mike Manzi. Hope you watched it. It's really easy to find for free anywhere. Honestly, I don't even mean illegally. Go to any of your like apps that play movies. I guarantee you'll find it on there. If not for free, for a cheap price. So if you didn't watch the film, I'll give you a pass because it's not everyone's favorite. But definitely listen to our episode on it. And that came out last Friday. But today for Cheer Monday, our film is another easy one. Well, it should have been because you should have done your homework. Another easy one for you guys to watch. And that's Gimme an F. And I know what you're thinking. What the hell is Gimme an F? Well, it's this awesome Cheer B movie. And I wasn't even really going to put it a part of our Cheer Monday series. But as I was doing research for so many of these other films, I would look into like notes and it would say, oh, this pays homage to Gimme an F. And I was like, hmm, what the hell's Gimme an F? And you'd see it like um, Fired Up apparently paid homage to it. And some other films as well, because there are scenes in this film from 1984 that are almost cloned in these cheer movies of today and the turn of the century era. So it's really exciting stuff. And my guest today, because this is such an obscure film, this is such like an old school, dare I say, VHS style film, is an expert on these kind of films. And I bet you he's heard of this one. And that's Christian Larson. So happy to have Larson on. So if you didn't watch it, watch the film, because we get into a really, really fun and interesting talk today. But before our chat with Larson on Gimme an F, I want you to all do me a favor right now. I want you to all look at your calendar. Wow. Mid-June, huh? You know what that means. Summer's almost here. But before that, your sophomore year has to come to a conclusion. And what do we do at the end of every school year? We gotta vote for our yearbook superlatives. We gotta do our yearbook special. And that's coming at the end of the month. But before it, vote, vote, vote. As of today, I don't know as of when this episode drops, because I think it drops at midnight, but as of like midday today, I'll be posting the ballots for the superlatives. And we have some fun and awesome categories. Over the next couple episodes, I'll go over some of the categories, maybe handicap them a little bit. But for now, I just want you to take a look at this ballot, vote early, vote often, and at the end of the month, we're going to have this awesome special, and you guys, the Slumberts, will be able to pick who will be in our sophomore yearbook. So check out our social media, Twitter, Facebook, you can't really put these kind of things on Instagram, but check out Instagram as well. Remember, class participation is a huge part of your grade. So pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's, because we're about to get our Monday slumber party on. Class dismissed. Larson, it's good to talk to you. Happy to have you on as always. And I didn't know if 
I would be utilizing your skills for this uh, Cheer Mondays set. I mean, it was, a, it was a popular thing. But then this movie came on my radar, and I was like, I, I don't know any experts in this era. And look, this is a very obscure film, and I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> oh, man. But, but first, how have you been? How you been coping? How was the move, by the way? Oh, yeah. I mean, the last time I spoke with you, I recorded a podcast with you and Kyle about The Substitute which was such a great conversation. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> and and that took place right before we were about to move out of Brooklyn to Peekskill, New York, at the pinnacle of the COVID-19 <laughs> craziness. And it was traumatic. It was stressful. But I am so happy we're here. It's such a lovely place to live. And I don't miss Brooklyn a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't wait till you can enjoy the Hudson Valley in all its glory. But I mean, I love Peaksville. I've been going up to Peekskill for a couple of years now. I mean, I still live in Manhattan, but I live in the most northern tip of Manhattan. So sure, it doesn't even quite feel like <laughs> Manhattan up there. No, definitely not. And we just, you know, take the car up in the summer and. Hopefully we could do that this summer. Not sure yet. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows? It's been really cool being in a place where you can wake up in the morning and, and hear birds chirping and, and <laughs> you know, crickets in the summertime I'm looking forward to. I haven't heard crickets in years. And there's a beautiful waterfront area on the Hudson River. And there, there's so much opportunity here for small business. My wife and I, our dream is to open a bar slash movie theater along the lines of uh, videology in Brooklyn and places like that. Oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah, Sign me and up. I, I feel like Peekskill's kind of the perfect place for it. So that's kind of something we're looking forward to up here, but who knows? Everything is up in the air right now. And, it, and it's so interesting I really speak to either my wife or my dog every day <laughs> exclusively <laughs> and maybe every now and then uh, someone I run into walking the dog and the last real conversation I had with someone other than my wife or my dog was with you. <laughs> and now and now i'm having another one with you we're back i'm uh, you know and i'm looking forward to talking about this one um just shout out again to peak skill i <laughs> i love the brewery up there taco dive bar is oh, a place i love like to go taco to dive bar so <laughs> can't wait for that but we have some business to take care of and it's for this film on cheer monday give me an f from 1984 but before any of that please introduce yourself once again to the high school slumber party audience saying your name High school graduating class and team name. Sure. Uh, my name is Christian Larson, Ramsey High School class of 1997. Go Rams. Not very imaginative, but <laughs> what are you going to do? Still one of my favorites, Ramsey Rams. Okay, so had you ever even heard of this film, Give Me an F? Uh, well, this is going to open a, a big conversation here because there is no talking about Give Me an F without talking about USA Up All Night. Are you familiar with USA Up All Night? I'm not. Tell me. You're watching USA, America's favorite cable network. Hey. 
USA, as we all know, kind of a basic cable staple, one of the earliest uh, cable networks. And in the late 80s and early 90s, on Fridays and Saturday nights, starting at 11 p.m., they would show a double feature of exploitation movies of trauma oh. movies uh yeah you're you're jogging my memory but I, I now i know exactly what you're talking about yeah like from being a kid yeah and if if you weren't having a sleepover party with uh vhs tapes you were having it watching usa up all night because it was either a horror movie an action movie or a tna 80s teen <laughs> sex comedy And, of course, all tastefully edited for cable. (laughs) But it opened my eyes to so much. And I mean that in so many ways. (laughs) As an adolescent in the late 80s, early 90s, watching it, uh, Gilbert Gottfried hosted it on Friday nights. Crazy. It's been a terrifying night. First we saw The Exorcist, then we saw The Exorcist Part 2. And coming up next week on USA Up All Night, Fraternity Vacation and... Pretty smart. You have anything more cosmic to show me? Yes. Read my book on common sense. Good. In the middle of everything, she throws in a cheap book plug. In the middle of all of it. Anyway, until next week, this is Gilbert Gottfried. And Madame Einstein. Saying, that's that's not not my finger. And B-movie scream queen Rhonda Shear hosted it on Saturday night. Oh. Hi, and welcome to USA Up All Night. Tonight, Rhonda has a very special night planned for you because some of Rhonda's friends are coming down for dinner. For you, I have two great films. And for my friends, I'm planning on making a home-cooked meal. <laughs> oh, oh, but don't worry, because Rhonda won't be the only thing cooking tonight. Rhonda thinks your hormones should really start to boil when you see our lead actress wearing her teeny bikini in our first film, Swim Team. Oh, and if your thoughts get just a little bit evil, don't worry. Our next film, Strangest Dreams, Invasion of the Space Preachers, will put everything back in order. Now, you should see what Nova does to the Reverend Lash. Woo! I think you better go to our film, and Rhonda better start to cook. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. How could I have forgotten? Rhonda doesn't know how to cook. Well, I'll think of something. And so many of my early memories are just like flashes to films I saw. The Toxic Avengers, Sergeant Kabuki Man... Uh, any of the Friday the 13th movies, uh, so many schlocky 80s horror movies, and, and of course the teen sex movies that you would watch just to see <laughs> the jiggles and whatnot, as they called it in the 80s. <laughs> About three minutes into this movie, I realized that it was a staple of USA of all night. I remembered that I must have seen it at least twice. Wow. <laughs> as, a, as a young person. And it's got everything that those early TNA sex comedies had, except that it, like, a lot of these movies 
the sex is kind of it's kind of what they used to sell the movie. And in this case, as it was for a lot of those movies, it's a movie about, I mean, sex is a big part of it, but there's so much more to it that I think that the filmmakers, the, the writer, the director, were trying to get across. And in order to get it seen by more people, they had to market it as a sex comedy. Oh, yeah, I 100% agree. They don't really do a lot of movies like this anymore. You know, I figured I'd have you on because I know you'd have some kind of connection to this. (laughs) Well, you hit the nail on the head, man. (laughs) And just for that, the USA uh, thing you're talking about, I remember it because I grew up a wrestling fan. And on Mondays was Monday Night Raw on USA and they used to promo USA up all night during Monday Night Raw because especially back then but even today there are like two kinds of wrestling fans generally they're kids and there are guys who are going to enjoy films theoretically like that <laughs> <if> that makes <laughs> sense <laughs> it's run here your bedtime buddy at the LA Sports Arena oh and we were just talking to Razor Ramon about what's going to happen Ooh, when you take on Macho Man, Savage, whatever his name is. It's just plain Randy Savage. I proved it before. I take his gold. You did? I take his machismo. You took it off his neck? I take it from around his waist. Wow, wait, turn around. Can, can I see your, I mean, can I see your outfit? You can, hey, mama. <laughs> what, what you got wait, for turn me? Turn around, turn around, wait. Wow, because, you know, we want to give up all night fans a treat. <laughs> You know, when you talk about Razor Ramon yeah. and Ronda Shear, yeah. <laughs> one thing comes <laughs> up <laughs> all night to me. I don't know what you're talking about. It's Ronda here at the L.A. Sports Arena in Los Angeles, yeah. of course. Yeah. Uh, hi. Uh-huh. Don't uh, let me intimidate you. No, you want, no, no. I, I think you really like girls. Uh, oh, I mean, uh, a, lot. a lot. A lot. A lot. Yeah. Because it's macho man. It is. Randy Savage. Or is that Randy Savage uh, man macho? Either Randy. or, yeah, Man. that can work. Randy uh-huh. Man Savage. I want to please you, Rhonda, and am I doing it right now? Oh, you're pleasing me. Oh, yeah. You're the nicest guy I've met all night. Well, you, that's because you've been, uh, yeah, slumming it. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, no, yeah. But even you, if you were way up here, I would rate somewhere in there, right? You would. You're very cool. You know, these other guys, these Beverly brothers, oh, they yeah. said that I have fake blonde hair. Mm, Ooh. That's something. That's, that's sensationally horrible to say to you. I know. Yeah. They, they, Let me write that down. Let me get with the Beverly brothers later on. Let them realize what it is. Yeah. What, what, they made a bad remark to run. I bet you could. My friend. I, I right? bet you could take them on, both of one time for me, just step on him. One time, one time is not enough with me and you, Rhonda. Let I me like tell you something, Beverly Brothers. Uh, the macho man and Rhonda, we're going to do the town, and you guys are just jealous. Yeah. They are. They can't get a date. Well, I'm almost positive that at the height of USA Up All Night that Gilbert Gottfried personally attended a few wrestling shows and, and made some promos live. Oh, I'm sure. I got to look that up after we record. Yes, that's, you do. That's something I need to definitely share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you even jogged my memory a little bit. I had not seen this movie. I just saw it on a list. But what I did notice while doing this Cheer Monday that most of the cheer films, at least that I focused on, were from like 2000 and on. Bring It On really like ignited 
a new cheer movement. There are cheer films before that. Most of them were in like the horror theme. And if not, a lot of them were college cheerleading movies. But I read that a lot of cheer films from like the 90s, the 2000s and on, they looked to this film for inspiration, believe it or not. It kept appearing in my notes for other films. So I'm like, I have to do it. I have to see what this movie is all about. I found out that it was in the public domain. I don't know where you watched it, but I watched mine on YouTube. So that makes it fun. Of course, every week I read either the back of the DVD or the back of the VHS. This is clearly a VHS film, if not a TV film. <laughs> yeah, like you well, said. part of what I liked about watching it on, on YouTube was that the poor resolution kind of reminded me of watching it on VHS. <laughs> So right? <laughs> it's worked out great. Now, uh, I found a photo of this VHS, and this VHS was made by Key Video. And, of course, you are a big VHS collector. You have tons and tons of things. You have the biggest collection I know of. Do you have any other selections from Key Video? Have you heard of this? Company? Oh, my goodness. You know, I'll say that it, although I am known for VHS collecting, I'm not at the level that some real professionals are. And... Uh, I don't know if you can hear that. The Peekskill police are on patrol. <laughs> all good, all good. Again, Police Academy movies saw them first on USA Up All Night. Oh, wow. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm relatively new to the world of VHS collecting. Some people are much more into the distribution of the videos. I know, I know studios. I know growing up, Carol Co., Live Entertainment... New Line Cinema, Key Video, I feel like there is definitely a lot of Key Video representation in my collection. You'll see it now once yeah, you like go through But it. I oh, will definitely see it now. <laughs> collection, again, I, I know you say you're not an expert, but to me, you are an expert. Again, you have the biggest collection that I know. You're still relatable, right? You're not in like some bunker with only VHS <laughs> tapes. You're still a human being. So I appreciate that. You've brought VHS screenings to my life. So I looked up an article. It's called The 20 VHS Tapes That Are Still Extremely Valuable. It was on Screen Crush. It was done at the end of last year. Okay. I'm going to ask if you've heard of some of these, and and let me know if you have or haven't, and if any one memory comes to mind of any of them. And and they they just randomly went on eBay one day and found, like, the ones that were the highest marked price. And, you know, these are ones between, like, the $200 and $500 range. Oh, wow. All right. If you think about it, it's crazy. But here goes. First one on the list is Attack of the Killer Refrigerator. Uh... No, I haven't heard of that one. I I went I went to a screening of uh, Microwave Massacre. Oh, so something in back. the family of that. But I, I feel like kitchen related uh, horror films must have been a very specific subgenre back then. We have to tell our friend Kyle about all these films. This podcast, <laughs> yeah. Foodie Films. <laughs> that should be interesting. <laughs> okay, the next one on the list is Lunch Meat. I love these names. Lunch Meat. I mean, it seems like a cannibal film, perhaps? Perhaps, who knows. The next one is Hong Kong Butcher. I mean... <laughs> So these are, like, financially the more expensive (laughs) tapes on the market? Apparently. Yeah. Uh. So, I mean, I think it has more to do with the the rarity of it, you know. And and there were so many Hong Kong karate action films released that it's kind of weird that any of those would be on the list. (laughs) Um, I'll skip around a bit, but this one is $395 on eBay last checked, and it's for Samurai Cop. Have you heard of this one? Uh, yeah. 
Cop. I love <laughs> Samurai Cop. It, it's funny because Dave Matthews, my, my wife is a huge Dave Matthews fan. And, you know, I grew up mocking Dave Matthews. But, <laughs> but <laughs> like she, a lot of people, as did I. But there are a lot of people I know whose opinions I respect, including my wife, who love Dave Matthews. So mm-hmm. one of his latest songs is called Samurai Cop. Oh, that's interesting. And I was so excited because I was like, a Dave Matthews song about Samurai Cop? Like, this is fantastic. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with the film. Oh. It's just that in the recording studio, there's a big TV in the corner. And the the guy who was mixing them that day was playing Samurai Cop on the wall. <laughs> and he was saying, like, I learned about this by listening to a Dave Matthews interview with uh, Howard Stern. And he was saying that watching Samurai Cop, it was like everything about it is so cheap and it looked like a porno. <laughs> but I just decided I was going to name my song Samurai Cop. It had nothing to do with the movie. A little disappointing, but at least there's some connection. I have to say this ties into Give Me an F <laughs> because a lot of the low-budget, shitty teen sex comedies that were seen on USA Up All Night and elsewhere had this kind of feel to it, that it was cheap and sleazy and it was a slightly higher budget porno movie. <laughs> and that's what you get when you're when you first watch the beginning of Gimme an F because it has this kind of synthesizer heavy intro song. It immediately made me think of uh, the porno movie in The Big Lebowski. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good call. Pinballin' or highballin' or something. You know, the bus is pulling up to the camp and you and you get the authority figures right away. You get the matronly uh, woman who runs the camp, which actually she doesn't play a big part in the movie, which I was surprised at. Very interesting there, yeah. But you also see Dr. Spirit, <laughs> who is the head of the camp. And as he's pulling up in his 80s limo, he's adjusting his rings. Uh, and he has a, a vanity license plate that says Dr. Spirit. <laughs> yeah, Brian, tell me what you thought about Dr. Spirit right off the bat. Oh, yeah. No, he was a... Uh... Very interesting, and I think you make some excellent points. This movie can veer so... Like, if it takes a left, it is porn. Yeah. If it makes a right, it's not. But it, <laughs> it definitely has that quality. I do have to read the back of the VHS. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I just don't want to forget about it, because I always forget about it. No, no, I'm I'm sorry. I've been rambling. I love it. This is why we're here. A good ramble. Do you think anyone tuned in today for, like, a really, really in-depth critical analysis of give me an f well i don't think so. we're, we're gonna get to that soon <laughs> so they're gonna get both on this list of these vhs is is a film called nazi love camp i have to mention that but there's some classics on here like halloween is apparently a very hard one to get on vhs sure. texas chainsaw massacre very hard to get in vhs but one of the most valuable ones that i thought was like awesome and i would love to have not that i'm a big star trek guy it's not that I'm against Star Trek. I just have another time, I guess. But apparently the Star Trek uh, Hollywood's Funniest Bloopers is one of the most valuable VHS tapes on the market. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Retailing for over $1,000. Give me an F. 
I don't have a VCR, but this might be one that I want to track down. I did find the picture of the VHS, so I'll read from that. Sure. A sexy, spirited, sassy rum. Cheerleading is one of America's favorite pastimes, and the place to go if you want to learn to shimmy, shake, strut, and split (coughs) is Camp Beaverview, the top cheerleader's spot in the nation. But this summer, there's trouble afoot at Beaverview. The camp's money-hungry owner, sleazy Bucky Berkshire, who you just mentioned, is about to go into partnership with certain foreign business interests, who I want to talk about a lot. Yeah. (laughs) When the head instructor, young, handsome Tommy Hamilton, learns of his boss's scheme, he enlists the help of two other teachers, his curvaceous girlfriend, Daphne, and the camp clown, Roscoe. Oh, Roscoe. (laughs) (laughs) Their plan? Defeat Bucky's prized, sleek, precision squad, the Falcons, by turning a stumbling group of newcomers, the Ducks, into the best thing Beaverview has ever seen. And so the battle of the bumps and bounces is on. And with an eye full of tantalizing bodies and an ear full of driving rock music and so many, which is true, dazzling dance routines, it'll knock your pomp palms off <laughs> 1985 color 100 minutes Ugh. so you introduce us very nicely yeah and normally i go into like production notes and cast but let's face it this isn't a film where that's important at all the director is some guy called paul justman he's more known for his music videos he did music videos for the cars and music video rick springfield if i can just jump in for a second he directed a movie called rock and roll hotel yeah that's where i was gonna leave have you heard of this film because that's an interesting i've been to two midnight screenings of rock and roll hotel wow so rock and roll hotel was the vanity project of a girl called rachel sweet Rachel Sweet was a young, she tried to be a country musician, she tried to be an 80s pop musician, now she's a television producer, but she was a young starlet, and she must have had some connections, because she had an MTV original film made about her and her band, and they end up at this magical rock and roll hotel where they have to win the battle of the bands. Colin Quinn has one of his first appearances in this. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Judd Nelson is a member of her band. There are, there are some very interesting cameos. It was the first MTV original movie. It was from 1983, I think. But it was all a vanity project by this girl, Rachel Sweet. And it's very entertaining and very rare. And the writer of the film went on to do a lot of semi-legitimate stuff. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, Yeah. James Hart. Yeah. The next movie he wrote after this was Hook. He wrote Bram Stoker's Dracula, Muppet Treasure Island, Contact, (laughs) uh, Sahara. Yeah, and then he wrote some television. This was where he got started. And again, this is is a movie about cheerleading. (laughs) It's, It's a classic 80s kind of like sports movie, you know, ragtag bunch of kids movie coming-of-age movie. It's not about 
the TNA, really. No, it's like teased, and honestly, sometimes when it's like shoehorned in, I'm not gonna say it's awkward, but it's like, oh, it feels like they're filling a quota of oh, what they have to do. They absolutely <laughs> are. <laughs> Anyone in the cast you recognize before we like deep dive in some of your favorite scenes? Actually, uh, the love interest of uh, what's his name, Tommy Rutherford. Oh, Tommy Hamilton. Tommy Hamilton. <laughs> the love interest of him which is one of his peers on the training squad, Phoebe. Phoebe, yes. Yes. Uh, she plays, I, I love the OC. We we may have talked about this before on your podcast, but I love, love, love the early 2000s teen drama, The OC. And the bad boy from the wrong side of the tracks has like a white trash mom who shows up every now and then. And she is played by Daphne Ashbrook, who plays Phoebe in this movie. So, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and, and I'm used to seeing her as like a washed up 40-something like white trash waitress. And seeing her in this was a big deal. Oh, I see her now. Yeah, I didn't realize that was the same person. Yeah, Good catch. Yeah. Other than her, there wasn't too many other people I recognized. No. The person you mentioned before bucky berkshire what's his what's his character's name again oh dr dr Dr. spirit Spirit. i was gonna call him mr spirit he actually is an emmy award winner for a show called cagney and lacy he was either cagney or lacy who knows whatever that was the (laughs) only like cagney and lacy was about uh two female uh police detectives it was a a hit show okay so clearly he wasn't either of them i think he was like the chief you know he had a mustache (laughs) He was probably the chief. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it just it seemed like one of those 70s yeah. buddy cop things. Sure. <laughs> Other than that, you know, this doesn't have big names. That's totally fine. That makes it better. We all know that. And again, you set the scene so perfectly. When we open up, it's this Beaverview cheer camp, and Dr. Spirit is made such a big deal. You asked me my feelings on Dr. Spirit. I don't know. I do like his uh I do like his jackets. It's so weird because in, in other cheerleading films that I've watched for this podcast, I've noticed a lot of the influence of this film on it. A lot of them have this Dr. Cheer character, if that makes sense. And maybe it's inspired by real cheerleading. Usually on this this uh series, I've asked my guests if they have cheer experience. I'm sorry that I didn't ask you that. I guess this is a good time. Were you a former cheerleader in high school? <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> you know, of course, being raised in the the 80s and 90s by pop culture, you know, you get this kind of idea of what a cheerleader is. You know, she's the most beautiful, popular girl in school. She's uh, probably pretty sexually promiscuous. <laughs> You know, and it's kind of a stereotype. And part of this movie is attempting to sort of break down this stereotype, which is weird. You don't expect that from a movie like this, but it's about dancing and gymnastics and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about Bring It On previously on this podcast, and that was, it's considered one of the first films to show that cheerleading is just not like pom-poms and supporting the team that there's an athletic component. But this is definitely a precursor to that because there is a lot here that's, like you said, you know, dance and athletic and, and gymnastics and all those other things. I liked early on seeing all the teams, right? Like the Falcons have their look. The Demons have their look. That's very Oh, yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah. I have, a, I have a note about this saying it's kind of like the Warriors. You know, yeah. like they all have a look like 
I love that. And of course, the first three groups, the only three really you get to know are the Falcons. They're called the fascist Falcons, which is great. (laughs) And they're like the uptight rich girls. And then you have the demons. Is that them? The demons? Yeah, the demons. That's like the... The bad girl. Yeah, the bad girls. New wave. They don't have much cheer in their cheer elements. Yeah. You know, a lot of black and red. Yeah. And then you get the ducks, the Muncie, Muncie ducks. Yeah, Muncie, like our lady sister of Muncie something yeah, ducks. They're, it's the they're first the, time the they've wholesome ever... Christian girls from the heartland. And <laughs> uh, the, the lead cheerleader of the ducks is one of our main characters and she's great and the demons kind of take the ducks under their their wing so to speak right away (laughs) because the falcons are being assholes to both of them yeah this is the first time the ducks have had a team because their catholic girl school has merged with the catholic boy school and there's a football team so they need a cheer team yeah there's even a nun who drops them off on their bus they make it very clear whose sides who's on there's another team we see a bunch, and that's, I don't even remember their name, but they're the, like, black cheerleaders yes. from that one team. I wanted to talk about this because, you know, a lot of people talk about Bring It On as sort of, you had that that sort of contrast between mm-hmm. a black school and a white school, and how at a, shall we say, more urban high school, the style of cheerleading is different. And that was kind of the main point of Bring It On. I've never seen Bring It On, but I'm assuming that's one of the biggest points. <laughs> Big is, part of it, Is yes. that culture clash. And they give this black cheerleading team a whole bunch of scenes where they do routines. And you're, you're able to see this different style. And I feel like to a lot of white teenagers growing up at white high schools in the 80s and 90s, seeing this was like, oh, hey, there's a different kind of way of doing this. And it, they're actually a lot better at it. Oh, yeah. Like, I couldn't agree more. I know they don't have, like, storylines and stuff like that, but they're portrayed in a way that, like, again, they're really good at what they do. They have a nice, cohesive dance unit. There's not, like, any negative stereotypes, if you will, like, about that troupe. They're actually, like I said, really good. I like seeing that. And, you know, you're so right. I think if you and I sat down and said we were going to make a movie about crocodiles right we would probably watch a lot of crocodile films there is no question in my mind that all the people who develop cheerleading films in the the golden era the new golden era of cheer films which is like the 2000s that they watched all the films that were on record including this one and it definitely had a big influence there and it's weird because again this film might be in the public domain it's not well known but again i wanted to give it its props because i watch it now and it's clear that it meant something to all these other films yeah i watched a movie uh, a few months ago called stripped to kill uh and it and it seemed like just another 80s exploitation movie it was about a serial killer who targeted strippers and a, a sexy female detective who had to get to the bottom of it. But it turned out that the movie, just like this movie, features many dance sequences with the characters. Drift to Kill uh, filmed a lot of tasteful dance sequences 
And the female director, who I, her name escapes me right now, but she's a iconic female exploitation director. She spent time with strippers and like learned about their lives and, and their routines and stuff. And it reminded me very much of, of this movie because whoever was involved with the making of it actually knew what went into cheerleading. Not on the superficial level but like the kind of people that go to these camps like what do they teach at these camps what what kind of shit goes down you know it was it was clear they did their homework yeah no for sure i kind of thought of it like for me if you're not like well connected maybe you didn't go to usc and you're not friends with george lucas these kind of films were a way into filmmaking and maybe yeah you had to add some tna to get them done but i do believe that a lot of these movies the intention of the filmmaker was to make you know a a project a certain way and they tried their best i'll put it that way like they tried their best to really add dimension to the characters and to the roles and maybe the quote-unquote worst parts of the film are when it has to veer in that direction of like Let's get this girl naked or something, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm not saying it's worse for people maybe watching at the time, but I can feel almost, maybe I'm making it up in my head, but I can feel almost like a tension between movie making and like filmmaking and fulfilling what the niche you've been tasked to do is, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the first things that came to mind about this movie is that it was on USA Up All Night for a reason, because it was marketed as a TNA teen sex comedy. And I bet the makers of this movie were like, all right, if we're going to get this out to the movie theaters, we have to market it that way. I'm sure Give Me an F was not the first idea for the title of this movie it was just (laughs) and really there's not a lot of sex or or exploitation in this movie the craziest sex part is when the southern bell has sex with the camp director (laughs) that's about as as exploitative as it gets the rest of it is half a, a coming of age story about this guy tommy hamilton who's an over over-the-hill cheerleading instructor. It's like, if he didn't do this, what else would he do? Exactly. I think a lot of us have been in that position. Of course. Not with cheer, but you know what I mean. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, it's a very universal thing because this guy, Tommy, he's, you know, I'm assuming his mid-20s. Uh, he's a cheerleading instructor. And Dr. Spirit even tells him, like, you you don't have the skills to do anything but this. That's, yeah. Big fish in a small pond, but if you left here, you'd be nothing. And so much of this movie is him coming to terms with that. He has a chance to hook up with the 16-year-old head cheerleader of the Ducks, which is a big subplot. His girlfriend is jealous about it. But he comes to terms with that. She's like, are you going to go through your whole life trying to hook up with teenage girls every summer? And it's handled in a shockingly mature way. Right? (laughs) I was so surprised by this. Okay, yes, it is a little awkward in our minds. You know, she says she's 16. They make it very clear that it's not legal. (laughs) You know, she's into him. You can tell he's into her, but I was so shocked when she's in his bed 
and they have like a kiss moment and he basically is like you know he's he puts the brakes on the situation and yeah he ends up with phoebe who in these kind of movies you rarely see someone start out with a jealous girlfriend and then end up with her because he realizes you know he matures like so i was surprised by that yes absolutely i mean you don't expect to see that this is 1984 1985 like The idea of a 25-year-old hooking up with a teenager is probably not as taboo back then as it would be today. The suave camp counselor hooking up with the camper. But they take that and they make it a learning thing. Like his relationship with Dr. Spirit, his relationship with his girlfriend, him making the conscious decision to cut things off the, with the student, much like uh, what's-his-face in summer, summer school. Oh, yeah. No, it was very similar to that. But, yeah, he and Phoebe have such a mature relationship, and there are, there are whole scenes in the movie where they talk about having a future together and what that future would look like. And you do not expect that from a, a movie called Gimme an F. <laughs> no, honestly, I expected this movie to be completely just like a TNA film. Yeah. You know, last summer, I did a film called Summer School Teachers. And that's what it was, just finding scenarios to get the teachers naked. <laughs> but know? again, I have to say this. Mike Manzi gave me a VHS copy of that movie a while ago and i was very excited to listen to your episode about it and you do talk about how like it was kind of the same thing where there was Mm -hmm. there was a much more intelligent movie that they used tna to sort of get out there because otherwise it wouldn't have gotten seen yeah it's such a weird weird thing to think about but strangely i'm kind of happy that at least these filmmakers got a chance to tell their story. I don't know if that happens today. I don't think, again, you and I can go out and like say, oh, we have a story to tell. Let's just put TNA in it and people will watch it. I don't know if that exists. No, anymore. that's probably not. This, <laughs> that business model does not really exist these days. It's just so different. But on the other hand, you have another classic 80s high school movie trope and that is the underdogs who have to win the big competition (laughs) and and it's so awesome that this movie has two solid 80s tropes working parallel you have the kid the fuck up who's trying to prove himself and you have the ragtag bunch that has to win the big game and eventually dr spirit who's the (laughs) The head of the camp uh, wants to kick out the ducks, right? At some point, um, <laughs> there's a lot of that, right? Like, there's a lot of um, weird conflict and weird moments that I don't want to say feel forced, but it's just like a reminder of that they have to get back to the storyline. Yeah. I think you bring up a lot of good points, especially that of there are a lot of um, different things happening here, different even goals for what this film should be. I mentioned them when I said the VHS, like the crew of coaches is kind of cool, right? Oh, I love them. I love them. (laughs) You have Hamilton, you have Phoebe, uh, you have that Southern Belle girl who's new, and you kind of tell early on that she's not like with everyone because she's criticizing like 
what they're doing and it's being like beneath them or whatever. Yeah. You also have Roscoe. Oh, Roscoe. <laughs> <laughs> so what'd you think of this whole team? I was actually just focusing on the two big plot lines because I feel like if we get into the details, like we could make a week long series <laughs> on this film because Roscoe <laughs> deserves an episode all his own. <laughs> Well, quickly, what were your thoughts on Roscoe? Well, if you're listening and you've never seen this movie, and you probably never will, uh, the camp counselors <laughs> are a wild group. There's like five of them. And in the beginning of the movie, they're all trying to get the band back together so they can go to camp. And they trash a hotel room. They jump into this wrecked yeah. convertible. And they have to track down Roscoe because he's the, the star of the group. And he's working as a male stripper, I think. That's what I took from it. And throughout the whole movie, he's insane. I feel like Bobcat <laughs> Goldthwait would have played him if the budget had been bigger. But he's wearing a helmet most of the time. He's wearing suspenders. At one point, he's dressed like a, a Mad Max character. <laughs> he's out of control. He, he's taking pills all the time. <laughs> oh, Rad Roscoe is what they call him. Love it. Yeah, he's such a character. Uh, he's largely, you know, he's on the good side for sure. He ends up, I suppose, falling for the head cheerleader on the Falcons. And it ends up, you know, That's right. playing a big part later. Uh, another great. 80s trope is to have the weirdo <laughs> fall in love with like the most prim and proper hot girl oh love it <laughs> yeah a lot of good stuff here you know i i didn't want to have this podcast and not bring him up and we're not going to go scene by scene here guys it's on youtube watch it but there are just elements i definitely wanted to talk about so when this group is first introduced to the camp dr spirit is trying to stall because like they have to do this, their big presentation and finally they show up and this like intro for them Along with a lot of other dance numbers, and I want to talk about them, for a movie like this, is pretty long, right? Like, these are, like, big set pieces in terms... Not set pieces in terms of, like, a lot of stuff going on in the background, but in terms of dance set pieces, like their introduction, some later cheer things. Like, we, we see we see a lot of dancing here. Oh, for sure. destruction, the road of I mean, like I said, this is the the people who made this movie really had respect for, you know, the people who do this stuff and respect for dance and gymnastics. And they really take the time in the movie, just like that movie Strip to Kill, like I was talking about earlier. They will stop everything and show a five minute dance routine because whoever made it actually like gave a shit about the dancing and stuff and you know these guys are introduced like the american gladiators uh <laughs> they, they come out to the synthesizer music and i i would love to have the soundtrack of this movie because it's so great and they come out and they do all these really elaborate uh acts especially tommy hamilton comes out at the end and he like takes his clothes off and he's like kissing girls in the crowd <laughs> 
It's out of control. <laughs> a lot of this film, I was like, wow, this is like... Okay, so let me backtrack a little. Like, I expected this kind of film to be for the guys, right? Like, just supposed to be all about the girls, the pom-poms, and the, you know, lifting up the skirts oh, and stuff yeah. like that. Oh, but, yeah. And we'll get to some of these scenes a little bit later. But there are a lot of, like, I guess supposedly, like, sexy guys dancing and kissing the women. Yes. It's almost like a, a, a proto-Magic Mike thing happening Absolutely. times. What I think you're referring to is later on in the film, there's that classic summer camp scene but it's the genders are reversed the girls absolutely let's just talk about it now because yeah. i have to get this off my chest because, all right so uh, hamilton at one point there's like a whole shower sequence with him where he's dancing and, and he's doing a strip show in the shower alone but you're so right we have seen this so many times in movies where it's the the woman doing it and while like the guys are probably like oh yeah like watching as an adult or i'm sure women watching were like why is she getting changed like that? Why is she showering like that? That doesn't happen in real life. This is one of the first scenes I've ever seen where a guy does it. Yeah, and the girls are all like crowded around the peephole. Yeah. One of them even says, I feel tingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably pretty ahead of its time. <laughs> Protruder in the shoot. Reverse porkies. Now, right, there's yes. like two arguments. Like, <laughs> two wrongs don't make a right, yeah. and maybe this shouldn't exist. But if you don't subscribe to the two wrongs don't make a right theory, then this is, like, this is very ahead of its time. Like, why yeah. is he dancing like that? Why is he making those moves? And, uh, yeah, another thing about this scene is that it goes from him just showering to him doing an elaborate dance routine in the showers, and there's even, like, a parallel bar set up for him to do <laughs> gymnastics. I was really curious if the actor was the one doing it or they had a double because... Now, normally they would have a double, right? But, like, he's not really a big name. Maybe they cast him because he was capable of doing that. Who knows? I mean, there are there are plenty of shots where it's filmed in shadow or silhouette. So Fair. there definitely could have been a double. And there probably was. But who cares? <laughs> like, if you're going to watch any scene from this film, guys, watch this scene. This is... So different to anything I've ever seen in this kind of film. I mean, honestly, uh, watch this movie. <laughs> it's great. I was actually surprised that it's an hour and 40 minutes long because most of these films run like an hour 15, hour 20. Yeah. But I get why it's an hour 40. That really devotes time to these dance sequences. It doesn't like cut them short at all. Some of them are two, three, four minutes long. For sure, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm glad we brought that up. <laughs> that was something interesting the real plot of this film doesn't really kick in, and I, I wrote the time code down to, like, 48 minutes. The first 48 minutes are just setting the scene at this camp. And, okay, Tommy's plot is kicked in because we have the whole, you know, that he doesn't know what he's going to do with his life. But one of the main proponents is, and I think we talked about this on, it might have been One Crazy Summer, but 
I've talked about this on other shows as well. There's this weird 80s, like, Asian phobia that they're going to buy everything. Yes. And we certainly get it here. They're Taiwanese businessmen in this film. But for whatever reason, they're investors here, and they're propelling uh, Dr. Spirit's motivation to get Tommy on. Because they're going to invest in the cheer camp, and they're going to build it almost like a theme park. But in order to do that, they want Tommy to sign a five-year deal, I believe. Yeah. What do you think about this whole element? Well, I mean, the 80s Japanese business people are a trope of so many 80s movies, uh, including One Crazy Summer, which we want. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's handled with varying degrees of sensitivity, (laughs) which is to say not much. But yeah, growing up in the 80s, it's sort of like... Like today, there's a lot of like manufacturing blue collar jobs disappearing and people need like a scapegoat for that. Nowadays, it's Mexicans. But in the 80s, it was the evil Japanese businessmen mm-hmm. who were coming to buy up everything. Yeah, it's a very big trope. And, you know, there there were two Asian tropes in the 80s they were the businessmen who were coming to buy up the ski resort or the tourists with 18 cameras around their necks that was yeah. uh, about it and both of them were led on screen by a gong always <laughs> Maybe not the best part of this film. No, they but definitely like worth a... mentioning. You know, it's an integral part of the plot. Yeah, I was going to say, they're not like a one-note joke. They're a huge part of the plot. I always think, because, you know, I'm a big sitcom fan. Famously, one of the greatest last episodes of any sitcom ever is the last episode of Newhart, which obviously starred Bob Newhart. And famously, it was all a dream or whatever. But before that, like, a Japanese tycoon was buying the entire town and that was i think 1990 so a little bit out of the 80s but not so bad yeah but it was just like a big thing in in people's minds that this was going to happen i imagine like the 1980s person thought that like in 2020 the japanese or at least asian people of some sort would own 90 percent of the united states with the way that films are depicting yeah of course Yeah, no, they play an integral part throughout this film. Any other scenes or moments you wanted to mention before we get to our big, fantastic, dance routine-filled ending? Oh, man. Oh, I I wanted to mention at one point they go to a bar. They leave the camp for the night. Yeah, the demons take the main girl from the, the ducks. Yeah, and they go to a local bar, and there's like a dance number going on at the bar. And, like, what dive bar do you go to where they're doing modern <laughs> dance? I, I would love... It's like Al- Alvin Ailey, like, kind of stuff. Yeah, like I, would, I would love if that was the case. I would love to go to my corner bar and see a modern dance number. Uh, but <laughs> uh, it reminded me of the movie Showgirls, mm. which my wife and I watched last weekend. And there's a part where they go to, like, a dance club and there's a modern dance troop performing in the corner (laughs) maybe that was a thing it probably wasn't but uh it should be (laughs) we see this a lot in film where they just have to like kind of shoehorn this in what you didn't touch on is like it's not just like a modern dance thing it's a guy dancing yeah that's true again they talk about the male gaze a movie like this should have had scantily clad women doing most of the dancing 
But most Absolutely. of the dancing in this is done by scantily clad men. You and I both resided in the New York City area in the mid to later part of last decade, right? Like, you and I maybe could go to a bar and find a burlesque show or something like that sure, going sure. on. But it, it was never like a guy doing modern dance. It, it's so different, and I picked up on that right away. We covered another film on this podcast, but I'm a cheerleader. And they have a similar scene where they escape away to a bar like this. Now, again, I don't know, but I could tell you almost every cheer film that I've talked about on this series has one thing that I saw in this film as well. And I could be crazy and I could be like that uh, that Charlie Day meme where he's like connecting all the dots from It's Always Sunny. <laughs> I could be like that. <laughs> but it just feels like this movie was so much more influential to all this stuff than it should have been. And and I'm so glad we're talking about it. I found something in that scene to be really funny that it's the demons and the one girl from uh, the ducks, right? Yeah. But when they find out that all the girls are there, the camp counselors kind of in varying different ways try to like rescue them, but they only seem focused on that ducks cheerleader. They don't like care that the rest of the demons are there. Well, the demons are a lost cause. They're the bad guys. Yeah, I, guess, I guess so. Tommy just rescues her, much to Phoebe's chagrin. I think um, Roscoe, yeah, he like breaks through. He says he's like cheer man or something. Some kind Oh, yeah, of Roscoe hero. drives a motorcycle <laughs> through a mirrored <laughs> wall. <laughs> it's totally unnecessary, yeah. but it's so... It's so fun and so good. I'm surprised again. I haven't looked it up enough. I'm surprised that this film hasn't been featured on one of those you mentioned, like midnight screenings at one of those Brooklyn cinemas, if you will, because it definitely fits the bill. Yeah. So why don't we why don't we dive into the big finale? I mean, let's do it. There's not much else to mention. So basically, Doctor Cheer, Doctor Doctor Spirit, Doctor Spirit, the head of the the head of the the <laughs> camp, has challenged Tommy that if he can coach the Ducks into winning the big championship, which will be televised on cable TV. I love it. I love it. He'll get ten thousand dollars, and with that ten thousand dollars, he and Phoebe can start a new life. Far away from the world of cheerleading. <laughs> so the, but the, com- not, the yeah. competition arrives and the ducks are sabotaged at the last minute, right? Yes, their uniforms are ruined. By the way, if he does not coach the ducks to a, a championship here, he has to sign that five-year deal. He doesn't realize it's like for this like theme park kind of situation. He doesn't know like all the stakes. Yeah, It's very reminiscent of the film Space Jam where Michael Jordan has the same exact wager. Not $10,000, <laughs> but... <laughs> He has to beat the aliens to, you know, I don't know. I don't know what he wins. I guess just they're free. But if he loses, he's got to be a theme park attraction. I want to backtrack a little because there is one scene right before this that you mentioned. It's that sex scene that happens. The Southern Belle and Dr. Spirit. And it's weird. You know, there's a balloon full of urine. (laughs) There's there's a classic hijink. This is very 80s in a sense, like. We got to, We got to do something about this situation, but it leads to the demons being banned from the final competition, as well as Roscoe. Oh, oh, God. Oh. Give me 
I just needed to mention it. It's a fun scene. It's an interesting scene. Definitely a scene at the time. But I just wanted to mention it before we went further because of their whole wardrobe malfunction. Who, wait, who's the one who drops the paint on them? Is it? I forgot who did it. Well, someone uh, does it. Yeah. Dr. Spirit and the Southern Bell, their sexual exploits are at first broadcast over the camp <laughs> AV system. And then they are hit with water balloons full of pee. Uh, and I love this because it's just classic 80s camp shenanigans. Love it. Yes. Fucking love it. So, again, this final scene, you mentioned that's broadcast on, like, TV. And I just did a film that I'd never seen called Fired Up from, like, either 2007, 2009. I can't remember at, at this point. In that film, they're at cheer camp as well. And they kind of make it a sticky, fun point that the end of the cheer competition is broadcast on ESPN to everyone. I think the joke in the film is like, why would this be? How is that possible? But I guarantee it was definitely taken from this film. And it's not even a championship, right? It's like the top three go to regionals, but yet there's a, they have a TV deal. I love it. I love it so much. It's perfect. And oh my God. So as these people are performing, the sets that they come out to are so... Elaborate. They could be on Broadway. These yeah, days. it looks like they're doing a rent <laughs> or like Les Miserables. There's ladders and platforms everywhere. And when the when the ducks finally go out, and there are some elaborate dance numbers. The black cheerleaders come out and do a great number. The Falcons come out and do their number. Yeah, and they mess up because Roscoe shows up in his. Mad Max gear, and he distracts the head cheerleader. Not on purpose. Yeah. But he distracts her, and then suddenly... (laughs) Suddenly, she falls down, and it's clear that they're not going to win the championship. And then the ducks come out, and the ducks do a surprisingly elaborate and sexy dance number that takes advantage of all the ladders and platforms <laughs> somehow it's more like a broadway dance number than a cheerleading routine uh and it again reminded me of showgirls <laughs> oh absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah you're so right <laughs> it was very showgirls-esque and at first i'm like wait this is dance there's no cheer elements but eventually they bring the pom-poms in and it's not one of these things where we think they won because they are our heroes, right? Like, we don't know much about the sport. Like, you see that in a lot of films. They very clearly had the best routine. And my God, it was a good routine. For whatever it was, it incorporated, again, cheer, dance, 80s aerobics, everything you could ever want. They just really, like, performed. And I loved it. Again, so they're using the demons' uniforms or some elements of their uniforms that fit everyone perfectly, which is great. Yeah. But it was a gift from the demons who have snuck back into the competition dressed as geishas. The, the Japanese people are very happy with that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's great. It's like an all-time dance number in film. This movie has a lot of these isolated dance numbers that I think 
whoever was making the movie wanted these things to go viral. I know viral wasn't a thing at the time, but they definitely wanted someone to watch at least one of these dance numbers and been like, oh, did you see that dance number and give me an F? It didn't (laughs) happen. But bravo to their effort now. I know no one's listening, but bravo. Whoever was involved with that, you kept me involved. and That was great. Absolutely. I I feel like we need to track down the people involved in this and and like dedicate a whole podcast talking to them. <laughs> it's one of these movies that I hope that people, again, I'm not going to take credit for it on this show, but I hope someone eventually discovers this and it does become a cult classic. I've been talking about this a lot, not just on my show, but on other shows here on the Cage Club Podcast Network, that there's so many of these movies that need distribution from these like indie, uh, Vinegar Syndrome is one that I was talking sure, about. Sure. They need like a new distribution if you want to do a 4K restoration, if that's what's going to get people to buy it, whatever. I don't care about that kind of stuff, but these things need to come back. These things need to, like, or at the very least, have that midnight screening because this one is worth it. It's yeah, not it really it's not crap. <laughs> I really thought it was just going to be a, and I wasn't disappointed either, like, if it was that was going to be the case. I'll put it this way. I was prepared for just, like, a 70s, 80s smut fest, and that's what it would be. But... You know, you hit the nail on the head when you started. Like, there are some really cool elements in here for what could have been. I think it gets accomplished later in more modern sheer films. But this is this is nineteen eighty four. It's so ahead of its time with what it's trying to do. Yeah, I mean, like I said, when I first heard that cheesy synthesizer laden intro and saw the credits and was immediately reminded of USA Up All Night, I was ready for sleaze. And what I got was a surprisingly interesting coming-of-age story, you know, a classic ragtag kids win the big game story, and characters I actually gave a shit about. It was such a pleasant surprise for so many reasons. And of course, the ending... If if I can just segue into that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Dr. Spirit, once the Ducks win, he refuses to acknowledge that they won. Uh, so the camp rebels against him, chases him up a, a tower. In mass. Yes. And uh, what's his face? The lunatic, uh, Roscoe. Roscoe. In his Mad Max gear, jumps into a car and storms the tower, crashing it to the ground. Tommy wins the $10,000, and the Japanese businessmen show up in a Japanese-themed boat. <laughs> I don't know how they have it prepared, but yeah, it has like the Rising Sun logo yeah. on the front. And they're like, Tommy, you have the full contract. You're in charge of all these cheerleading camps now. So Tommy gets to, you know, he was saying earlier, this is all I know. How am I going to start over? You know, I'm like 25 years old. All I know is cheerleading, but I want to start a new life. And he gets that chance. And it's the perfect ending. It really is. It's like that feel good ending. It's it's the chance we all want, right? Like there's something we're all passionate about, but eventually we have to make money. Those of you out there who are lucky enough to make money in something you're passionate about. Great. Right. But, like, we all want that, like, kind of gift from the gods. Like, hey, this solves both your problems. You get to stay here. You get to still do the cheerleading, which you love and clearly you're good at. And you're going to get, you know, 
be able to have a good life for yourself and Phoebe, who he's settled with at this point. I think he proposes to her at the end yeah, or something akin to Yeah, that's right, it. he does. <laughs> oh, it's great. Oh, it's great. It's so fascinating. It's so interesting. Yeah. Again, it is a heartwarming ending. Any other things you wanted to mention about the film before we get to our, our awards? I mean, I think I've already said too much. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I was not... I was not expecting it to be such a big deal for me as far as nostalgia and as far as what a quality movie it was. Thank you for making me watch it. <laughs> Again, what is it? You're like third watch now, but it's brought back to you. It's uh, it's awesome. Yeah. Like I'm glad to just be able to share this with you because it's... Again... For, especially for the series we're doing, so influential, such a surprise, so interesting. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but if you're into this kind of stuff, this is definitely something you're going to enjoy. Yeah. Okay, Wooderson Award. A character who you would have liked to see more of. Was there anyone in here who needed to be focused on a little bit more for your taste? I would have liked to see the other members of the camp counselors. I would have liked to see there were there were five of them. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to see maybe more about what kind of shenanigans they got into. Find out more about their history together because clearly they were a uh, a close knit group of people. But I mean, out of all of them, Roscoe. I want to see more Roscoe. <laughs> he was great. Again, he was that classic. There's always some guy you remember from these kind of films, and that's Roscoe for me as well. I would have liked to see a little bit more of Roscoe. I think they balanced everything pretty they well. Did. They did, considered. they did, They did. Maybe that lady at the beginning, who both of us thought was going to be a bigger part of the film, but we, we didn't really need her. I think Roscoe is my favorite. Yeah. Um, okay, Long Duck Dong Award. Was there a character? <laughs> I, was there a character? Yeah. Whose omission <laughs> would have made the film better, whether it be by insensitivity or just the fact that we didn't enjoy their storyline? Anyone here you would delete? Well, I mean, if you're going the Long Duck Dong route, uh, <laughs> the crew of Japanese businessmen had their share of offensive stereotypes. But uh... I got why they were important here. Like, it made sense. Of course. But there was too many, like, side moments that were just, like, very... Very stereotypical. Yeah. <laughs> Often when they would appear, it would be like, oh, a little bit cringy. So yeah, maybe just by default, we have to nominate them for this award. Sure. All right, Cameron Fry Award. Anyone too old to play a high schooler? Oh. Did anyone... Like, see, we have the camp counselors, and they're totally fine in their age, but were any of the cheerleaders too old, in your opinion, I mean, looks-wise? they rode that line, you know? Like, I'm sure none of them were older than their early 20s. You know, the thing about movies like this is that if you actually had 16-year-olds playing these characters, a lot of the stuff that they got into would feel really creepy. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. that's why they cast people who were in their late teens, early 20s, which I think worked out good. And having that age discrepancy between the counselors and the students, it brought up some interesting stuff. So I think the age thing was handled pretty well in this movie. Surprisingly, yeah, there wasn't anything that was too crazy. Everyone seemed around the same age. Everyone's, they did enough with the people to really distinguish the counselors from the cheerleaders, and I was completely fine with it. And I, I'm surprised by that. You yeah, know, yeah. Usually in this film, there's a big... I, uh, almost as surprised there. as I was at the lack of ethnic stereotypes in The Substitute. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good call. 
<laughs> okay, so there's no critical uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes for this, but there is an audience rating, and it gets a pretty brutal 39%. But we don't care about Rotten Tomatoes here. We grade on our own personal report card. So, Christian Larson, A plus to F scale. What report card grade will you give? You know, give it's very rare that I would give this out, but A plus. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> a plus, so... Ironically, Gimme an F gets an A. <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that, but yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far, but this is a surprising B for me. Okay. And again, I expected to give this a solid D. Like, oh, I had some good ideas, but come on, we know what it is. But I'm giving this a B. It was really fun to watch. Not at your A-plus level, but still. I mean, a lot what of that think? is nostalgia speaking, but... Uh... Oh, of course, of course. But we're not, you know, we're not grading. This isn't yeah. a letterbox yeah. grade or, you know... Oh, no. We're not the Academy. Not here. nearly <laughs> as important just... as a letterbox grade. Oh. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> okay, so you have to bring a... Give me an F-themed sleeping bag to the slumber party today. What's it looking like? Oh, uh, I guess mine would be a recreation of the Camp Beaverview sign. <laughs> the camp in the movie was Camp Beaverview, and the cafeteria was called the Beaverteria. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like again those are things that were forced upon the filmmakers to yes, make it, yes. and and they probably rolled their eyes at that but yeah my my sleeping bag would be a welcome to camp beaver view sign We love it we love it that's a good one All right so you and I typically I say a blockbuster but any movie store but maybe maybe you and I are having a USA up all night slumber party who knows but th- the point is we've rented or we're watching give me an f what two other movies are we watching on this slumber party oh well i actually did a little homework on this i picked out two movies that played a lot on usa up all night which probably were also available at the local blockbuster the first one is called stewardess school from 1986 (laughs) and i love that it stars donnie most from happy days Perfect. Wendy Jo Sperber is is in it as well from... Uh, oh, but, but Bosom Buddies. Bosom yeah. Buddies. Wendy Jo oh, Sperber, she was the younger sister in Back to the Future. Yeah. And it's about a, uh, a ragtag bunch of idiots who go to stewardess school. There is some sex and TNA involved, but it's also a fun movie. The other one would be Meatballs 3. <laughs> Uh, starring Patrick Dempsey. Oh, cool. As a camper who gets schooled in the ways of sex by the ghost of a porn star played <laughs> played by Sally Kellerman from MASH. Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah. So Stewardess <laughs> School and Meatballs 3. I love it. I just wanted to mention too that this film, if you haven't seen it in the Gimme an F form, maybe you've seen it under its two alternate titles. Uh TNA Academy 2, which is supposed to be a, a sequel to a film called TNA Academy, which is not related to. Have you heard of TNA Academy? I have not. I feel like that's a little on the nose. Even in the 80s, yeah. they, were more, they were more creative about their titles. And in, in West Germany, for all our West German fans out there, this was called Cheerballs. Balls. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, this was an absolute pleasure, a surprise of a film, and a pleasure speaking to you on it today, Larson. So a- anything you want to plug? Well, I'm, I'm going to be starting a new podcast coming up soon uh, about the adventure, PC adventure games of the 80s and 90s. It's going to be called PodQuest. I don't know where it will be released. It will probably be on the podcast network uh, that you're listening to this on, but who knows. And you can follow me on Instagram at Captain Goodtimes, C-A-P-N, Goodtimes. Awesome. Very much appreciate you coming on. Always a pleasure. And you're going to be back on this podcast soon for a very important film. And I won't say what it is yet, guys out there, but it's a big one. I can't wait. So thanks so much. I can't wait. Big thank you to Christian Larson for hopping on the podcast to talk Gimme an F. Always a pleasure having him. He's such a fountain of knowledge for this era. I hope you guys enjoy like just the nitty-gritty we get into when we talk about these kind of films. I know I do. I know they're not your 10 Things I Hate About You or your Mean Girls or your Clueless, but they're still fun to me. I enjoy them. They fill a different niche, but an important niche. And I don't think you get the movies I just mentioned without getting these kind of movies as well. We do every kind of teen movie here on High School Slumber Party. We don't just keep it to the classics. We do some of these maybe unappreciated classics. Who knows? Well, again, Mr. Larson, he'll be back on the podcast very, very soon. I can promise you that. But we have another episode on Friday, and I have to assign you some homework. So check out this one. It is a classic in every sense of the word. And the film is called To Sir With Love. Sidney Poitier! These kids are a special breed. Joseph. Yeah. 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 Young and wild. Potter. Not quite adults. Potter. Yeah. They're as in as Carnaby Street, as hard as the streets of London. As touching as a 16-year-old who knows all the answers. You're not in trouble, are you? (laughs) No, sir. Sidney Poitier, in a role worthy of his Academy Award-winning talents as the teacher who joins battle with the wildest set of rebels London ever produced. Whatever's the matter? Those kids are devils, incarnate, huh? I've tried everything. Everything, but nothing I tried. Kids. Kids. That's it. So sorry. It slipped. Christian Roberts as Denim. Judy Geeson as Pamela. Uh, Don't worry about your desk, sir. I'll tidy it for you every day. That won't be necessary. That's perfectly all right. A woman's work is never done. 
Susie Kendall as the young teacher. I think he fancies her. I know you do. Sam Bader has quite a crush on you. Women say the damnedest things. I think he's nice. And introducing Lulu, one of England's favorite pop singers. Look at me. I am a lady, I am. <laughs> now in her first film as one of the bright, hip youngsters. And sharing the musical spotlight, Britain's top big beat group, The Mindbenders. To serve with love is a special kind of motion picture, striking at the heart of what it means to be young. Emotionally, brilliantly, and provocatively portrayed. What are we going to talk about, sir? About life. Survival, love, death, sex, marriage. Wow, that was a classic old school trailer. One of those really long trailers. I love it. I hope it gets you amped up. For two sir with love, like I said, Sidney Potier, he's a legend. And my guest for this film will be none other than the foodie films man himself, Kyle Reinfried. And of course, our Shakespeare expert, but so much more than that, John Hardin will be here as well. And I love when the three of us get together. We have a lot of history together. And little little uh, surprise for you, or I don't know if it's a surprise. It's more like a production note, if you will. But we had so much fun recording this episode on To Sir With Love that Kyle's like, we need to do this again. We need to do this again fast. And we thought, what better movie to cover after To Sir With Love than Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Another Sidney Poitier classic from the same era. So you want to check that out. I think that's this week or next week on Foodie Films. You want to check that out on his podcast on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. But... Your mandatory homework is to watch To Sir With Love and to listen this Friday. Thank you so much for listening today. Can't wait for you guys to hear that episode. Thank you for listening to this episode. And remember, guys, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. I'll leave you with a song that I found on this soundtrack. And this person sings another very famous cheer song, Hey Mickey. But before that, I guess she was still doing cheer songs because the song is called We're Ready Now and the artist is Tony Basil. Class dismissed. It's over.
Go home. Go.